This is Woodward's The Podcast, a production of the Kansas City Woodworkers Guild, with host Kevin Thomas and producer Chris McCauley. Here's your host, Kevin Thomas. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Kansas City Woodworkers Guild Woodward's Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thomas, and today we have a special show. I'm joined by several former presidents of the Guild, and uh, let's let me introduce them on the on the end over here. We have Dave Kratz, our current president, Craig Arnold, the man responsible for me being a member of the Guild, Wayne Wainwright, and over here we have Jim Bainey and Mike Jones. We hope. Uh, We'll be discussing a little bit of the future and the past of the guild, and uh, we hope that uh, you find us interesting. So, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Dave, let's start with you. Where was the guild when you were president, both uh, in a physical location and number of members? Well, when I was president, uh, actually about halfway through our history, I was president 2000 through 2003, and uh, we were meeting at uh, Jacob's Well Church down in the Westport area. That was, uh, actually, I was, there was one president between uh, between me and Wayne Weinreich, who's uh, responsible, actually, for the big push into the the shop scene. So uh, I was with, I was in the guild and I was president when we were basically a, a show and tell organization with uh, the sparse demonstrations in the meetings. And uh, the guild was going through, uh, you know, actually not growing pains at the time. We had problems uh, maintaining a membership at the time. And generally every year we'd lose. 30 to 40, sometimes even 50% of the members through non-renewal. And uh, we built that through uh, participation in woodworking shows and uh, and the annual field show that we were still having at the time. And usually tried to maintain around 100 members, but uh, we never grew appreciably over that, uh, regardless of what we did. So. Uh, the guild is quite a different uh, organization than it was then. It was basically, as I said, a show and tell organization. Greg, let's uh, go to the other end of the spectrum. What was it like when you became president? Well, when I became president, we had been down here at this current location about uh, 10 years. I think that's right, about 10 years. Um, and uh, I had joined when the guild was still out on uh, 67th Street and I-35, and they had a small shop out there with just one table saw, one drill press, one jointer, all Steel City equipment that was purchased by funds that were uh, derived from the uh, project, the restaurant project. Um, when I joined, I was told that I was uh, member 267 at the time, and now we're closing in on 900 right now. <laughs> So uh, uh, we've grown appreciably uh, since the time I first joined to the present. So I look around at the shop here and look at all the equipment now. So, Wayne, how about uh, how about when you uh, took over? Yeah, indeed, that was a while ago, wasn't it? Yes. Um, so I think I was member ninety nine, 
<laughs> um, when, when I started, um, because that was under Dave, and uh, one of the things that we were concerned about is in order to pay our bills, we, we had to have at least 100 members. We had 99. <laughs> so, so a few of us chipped in just to kind of keep things going until we could get the membership back up again. Um, but that's, I think, when we realized that the, the key to growth was the shop. That people needed to actually do do stuff with their hands, and uh, and that was sort of the the direction that we wanted to go in. Um, wasn't a particularly easy direction to go. Not everybody was on board with that. This group of people, all sitting here, exception, um, were were very positive on that front. And if it wasn't for everyone that's sitting here, I think it probably would have never happened. But that's all I have to say. Jim, you followed up, Wayne. So. <clears throat> Yeah, um, I was. Yeah, <laughs> I I was uh, the last president at uh, Jacobs Well. Um, at the end of my two-year term, uh, we decided to move to uh, 63rd Street, um, and um, I guess my administration was uh, noted for. We did the first Andres project, which was the chair project, um, that really got us out of uh, dire financial straits. Because I, I think when I took over, we had a hundred. We had twelve hundred dollars in the bank, and that wasn't going to pay our, 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 our rent for the year. <clears throat> so uh, we had about one hundred and fifteen members at the time, and. Uh, um, Gosh, that was a long time ago. Mike, you uh, followed up Jim. Yeah, it's funny. I still recall talking to Jim and saying, look, if you'll, if you'll be president, I'll be your vice president. <laughs> and it took some arm, I literally it took some arm twisting to get him convinced because he didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so uh, when I when I took over, we were getting things up and running at uh, over in Miriam, and um, it was all fortuitous that we had the woodturners come to us and said, "We really need to have you guys move in with us because uh, we can't afford the rent here. The landlord is going to tack us with fifteen hundred dollars a month rent, which was nothing." for 10,000 square feet of commercial space, albeit in the basement. Um, it was a match made in heaven. They needed us, and we needed a place to move to. Uh, the Andres project ended up netting us enough money that we could purchase our first equipment. I was actually able to strike a deal with Steel City. They were a relatively new company, and they were anxious to get their equipment out there, and what better group to do so than with Kansas City Woodworkers Guild. They saw a lot of opportunity and benefit partnering up with us to provide us with equipment at a pretty significant discount that we were able to purchase through uh, Woodcraft. Since they were the distributor, they didn't want to violate their distributor. So um, we ended up with that equipment, got things rolling. It really helped us tremendously with the Andres project because we were able to take the Andres project out of individual shops and move it into the uh, the main shop where we were able to get everything done there. All right. 
I have to uh, now speak for myself as I, I followed, uh, there was one, one president between Mike and I. I, I got the uh, joy of the uh, hunting for a place to move us. We ended up here. I think for I will forever thank uh, Cliff Clifford Bell for uh, getting us uh, finding this place and settled in and got quite the shop now. May he rest in peace. Yes. Um, everybody's spoken of the Andres project. Four of the five of you were quite involved in that. What? Uh, who wants to start? I can do that. Um, so once we decided that we needed to get into this, this construction business, the question was where, how, who, why? <laughs> and uh, there was a guy who's not here now. I talked to him um, about two years ago. I haven't talked to him since. Uh, yeah, Chris yeah, Kunzla. Did you? Chris Kunzla, um, you know, had a relationship with the, the owners of uh, um, Andres because they were in the, the Swiss club, Swiss whatever it's called, here in Kansas City. And they're all Swiss guys. And he knew that they were looking for um, some new furniture for inside the restaurant. And he also knew that they had been attempting to purchase that furniture from Austria. And uh, because... Um, his mother wanted um, the furniture to look the way it did in the hinterlands, up in the mountains in Switzerland. And um, they didn't think that that was something that they could find here in the United States, so they were looking for this company um, in Austria. It was a very expensive project for them to purchase and bring you know, over here. And Chris, I will, I will use the term, weaseled his way into... <laughs> <laughs> into their decision making and said we can do it the guild can do it let us show you we can do it and he he kept saying no m mother is going to say no this 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 can't work and we ended up um making the piece making he, he got a, um, an agreement to make a template piece first a prototype and um we took it to to the the shop or excuse me to the restaurant, and mother sat in it, and she was actually the decision maker on whether we were going to do that or not. And I did not know that at the time, <laughs> but she sat in it and she said to her son, and I'll I'll never forget this as long as I live, umpa. That was her expression sitting in the chair, um, which was acknowledgement, and I I thought. It, did we get it? Did we get it? <laughs> and Chris said, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> That's how we got the, the contract, and it, it worked out well. The first part of, uh, of the Andres project was done in, if I remember right. Well, all started in my shop. Um, I, I remember a truck in the trailer pulling up with about, uh, oh gosh, over a thousand board feet of lumber for 
what, what was it, 55 or 56 chairs? 65, 65 yeah. chairs. And my function was I was going to um, cut up, glue, and size all the seats and the backs. And um, so that was uh, over 120 things that I had to had to chop up and glue together and run them through the, the planer and then run them through my, my antiquated drum sander at the time. And my neighbor, Kevin McAndrew, came down and helped me with that. And we spent uh, a better part of, of, of a month getting all that, all that cut, glued, and sized. So when, once it left my shop, then it was shaped. I don't know where it went there. <laughs> speak to that, because uh, if not for Dave Kratz's skill with making Good jigs, shakes. we'd have been in a world of hurt. I'm proud to answer the question, Jim. All the lumber came to my shop. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, uh, it, was, it was all beautifully sized and sanded. You did a great job. But I, <laughs> I designed all the templates and jigs and cutting devices, turned the pieces of lumber into chair parts. And then uh, once I had those and we had a suitable prototype, which I think, Wayne, do you still have that chair? I do. Okay. <laughs> when we made a prototype chair that got checked off by uh, Andres, and then I, I loaded up the seats in one one truckload with the templates, and I think I took them to Bill Evans' shop, and uh, loaded up the bags, uh, took them to Mac Dressler's shop. I cut all of the... Uh, I cut all of the legs, uh, tenons on my uh, my lathe, and then I took the legs to uh, Jim Childress' shop yeah. to saw all of the legs, and those are eight-sided tapered legs. The amazing thing to me was when we brought them all back together, they all fit. <laughs> I'm still to this day in awe Didn't of that jig. We had a problem with the bolsters on fastening bolsters somehow. Bolsters, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we did. And and the what we what we discovered on that was, uh, and then and that and those were drilled in Bill Evans' shop. And the problem was, I had a two-sided jig, and on the first side it drilled the hole correctly, but when it shifted to the second side. Yeah. They pulled the drill press down and actually warped the jig with the pressure they were putting on it, and the uh, the legs weren't in line with one another. So we had to remake all the bolsters. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And Ken Sokol took the original bolsters that we had left over and made workbenches out of them. If I remember right. <laughs> the, my I only got in on the final assembly of the of the uh, chairs, so. Have to thank Charlie at Woodcraft for allowing us to do that assembly there in their back room, and then load them all up and send them down to the airport to be sprayed. Yeah, didn't part of them went to the airport, and didn't part of them go to Bill over over to um, um, one of the woodworking shops? Where does uh... No, that's that's the next phase. We took all the chairs, we loaded them in my trailer, and hauled them down to the downtown airport. Oh, that's right. 
and uh, sprayed everything down there. And that was Bob probably King. Bob King's first experience shooting uh, waterborne poly. And uh, he actually grew to love it after spraying all 65 chairs. If I, if I may interject, um, just to reiterate that point, he told us that we were absolutely nuts or even thinking about using that product yes <laughs> until he actually sprayed them and then he decided hey this is pretty darn cool <laughs> that was to me one of the greatest explanations of what the guild is about that project how everybody came together uh, utilizing all the different shops prior to moving to Miriam then we moved to Miriam and that changed things exponentially. Well, what uh, what was the next next uh, item? Was the next tables? phase was the tables. tables. Yep, the tables, and the tables were challenging in and of themselves. And again, if not for Dave Kratz and his ability to figure out a problem, you know, there was always a solution Dave could come up with because we uh, we had to edge fan that that maple plywood with eight quarter and then they wanted a decorative cherry <laughs> inlay put in on top of that and then of course we had to get all that flattened we, off to the to the plywood without burning through the mirror yeah gave cell from Andres the <laughs> choice of do, do you like the strip decorative lay around it and he says and we were hoping, no, I'm, I don't like that. And he goes, oh, man, that's great. I love that. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> and then we had to come up with a design on the legs. Um, and, and we had to, the original plan was just to have a, a locking key in the uh, stretcher on the outside to, he discovered that that wasn't enough rigidity to make that table solid. So we had to come up with another plan. That was a project that was constantly flux in terms of from design to production. Um, again, I credit Dave because he was always the one that seemed to be able to come up with the proper solution to the problem. And that project was just fraught with all kinds of problems that uh, we were able to overcome and accomplish. Simple little things like cutting those hearts, having the jig to cut those hearts into that hard rock maple. And, and again, anybody listening who knows and understands the various domestic species of wood that we have in the United States, that hard rock maple is probably the hardest, most challenging wood that there is to deal with. And that's what we built all of this out of. It, it, was, it was beautiful in the end. And it's still, and that's, 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 still that's, that's, if, yeah, they're still using those. Um, I still use one up here for our sign-in. That was a prototype. That was the prototype, and then there's a bench back in the AV suite. Over that was here. a prototype as well. Yeah. <laughs> Are they holding up well? Yeah. So, where where do we go next? We're finished with Andres. What was our next uh, fundraiser? Well, that ended up, uh, I had to abbreviate my president. I had to ask John Johnson, my vice president, to take over for me because I picked up a job with Field Turf Canada, and uh, it's a synthetic turf company, and 
wasn't even a month into my job with field turf, I got my first bunch of turf sample boxes. Um, and field turf typically put a section of turf into a box and then put 10 pounds of sand and rubber into the turf to replicate what it looked like when it was installed. Uh, so you put a box together, you fill it full of turf and sand and rubber, you put it in a box and hand it to FedEx, and you can imagine what to it next. Um, of the first 10 boxes that I received, there were uh, three of them that were actually usable. And I was looking at the construction of these boxes, and they were made out of birch face particle board wood with an eighth-inch piece of masonite stapled to the bottom, crown stapled. And then they had a plywood lid that was basically set in the top and was held in place by the little screen door latches. Just not a good design. So I suggested to our vice president of marketing, if we could make you a box that we guarantee you wouldn't come apart in shipment, and would contain all the crumb, sand and crumb rubber, would you be willing to switch over to let us do those? And they said, in a heartbeat. So the next thing you know, we got an order for 2,000 boxes. I think that was the first order we got from them. So that launched us into a nice long-term relationship with Field Turf, making those sample boxes. And that design morphed into different designs, bigger boxes, more complicated, more complex. They had a silk screen, the lids and the side walls. And, uh, but that was the next big ongoing fundraiser that did that really netted some pretty decent profit for the guild to uh, allow us to set aside, squirrel away money to fund the purchase of the equipment in this shop. Okay, well, so, so I, have a, I have a question. Um, since since I left, right about that, boxes were. One of the things I always wondered about is, we we always had a number of members who were not happy about going into the guild, going into the production business. That was something that should only be for members and businesses. Guild shouldn't be in that business. I'm curious, did we lose members because of these projects? don't remember I don't think so because what the guild always did was they sold the participation on building your skills um, there was there was some great PR work done in that and we always had more than enough um, volunteers that that wanted to basically work on those projects and and and, and enough um, retired guys that we're looking for something to do. I figured that would be the case. I just wanted to, to confirm and make sure since I wasn't here to actually see it. <laughs> <laughs> we actually picked up skills that none of us ever had. I was the only one out of the whole group that had ever had any kind of silk screen. And the first screen that I made actually worked out pretty good, but we discovered pretty quickly that the uh, the frames and the, uh, the screening material and the Diazo that is used to make a silk screen, buying at the local art supply, wasn't quite adequate using it on a thousand box lids. <laughs> and so we ended up getting pretty sophisticated with our silk screening methods. We ended up buying our screens and frames from a company in Florida that redid, redid all of it 
for us. They ship it to us ready to start laying ink down. Um, so again, it was a learning curve. And of course, I had to step away because I was on the road constantly with field turf. So this stuff was happening after I walked out the front door and didn't look back. I felt kind of bad about that too, because I was able to secure the contract, but I wasn't ever able to come in and really help with the projects unless we were doing something on a weekend when I was in town. I'm sure somebody reminded you of it. Always. <laughs> Gentlemen, we've come to the end. I want to thank you all for your time, your service to the Guild. And I thank all of you for joining us. Remember, if you like the content you see here, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, comment, let us know what you like. And uh, so we can continue to bring you the best from the Kansas City Woodworkers Guild. So until next time, remember to work safe and get your sawdust on. Thank you. This has been part one of the Guild President's Roundtable podcast. Please tune in next week for part two when we talk about the current Guild and what we would like for the future. This has been Woodwards the Podcast, a production of the Kansas City Woodworkers Guild, with host Kevin Thomas and producer Chris McCauley. A special thank you to our guest today, to the Guild's Leadership Committee, and to all of our sponsors. For more information about the Guild, upcoming classes, and events, please visit our website kcwg.org. You can also find us on social media by searching for Kansas City Woodworkers Guild. And remember to hit the subscribe button. And ring the bell for notifications. <laughs>